It's not a selfish, needy thing. I don't have a wish list. He's not my genie in a bottle. He's my father and I'm his son. And his spirit lives inside of me to empower me to follow him. <laughs> so whether my own wife is seeing or not seeing, I'm walking in the light as he's in the light. So I'm not a man with a marriage problem. I'm a man with a covenant and a life that's in God. Well, how long are you supposed to live that way, brothers? Yeah. Truth doesn't know time. Heaven and earth's going to pass away, but His Word going to remain. I would suggest you live by His Word, not your emotions, not your feelings, not your errant desires. I would suggest you crush those if they're not producing life and go ahead and get over here in life because truth doesn't know time. Well, when do I just move on? When do I just... It's not your life. Why are you even asking the question? You love not your own life unto death. Why are you always compelled to move on? Why don't you just stay where you're at and not even think about this for a season if they don't want anything to do with you? And why don't you just be the most productive Christian the world has ever seen and just walk in the light and shine and be in love with Jesus and let everybody know it and see Him through your life? I'll tell you why. Because we've been tricked. And we think God's here to do good things for us. We don't have the close intimate relationship with Him. We're trying to get that through each other and we've been very much failed. That's why there's so much hurt in the church. That's why people put up walls. What is that? Put up walls? Well, I just live guarded. That's a sad testimony. <laughs> well, I'm just tired of getting hurt. Why are you so touchy? Why can you be hurt? Because you're living for yourself and defending yourself. You're going to be overtaken. It's guaranteed. You will be overrun. That's why He's your rock and defense. When you see through Him, it defends you because you're not living for yourself. We just think He's going to come and block out everybody that's there to get me. We live in this little fantasy thing like we're on an island with the Lord and He's protecting me. No, it doesn't work like that. He's my rock. He's my defense. He's my rear guard. I don't ever have to look back. You can't stab me in the back because I didn't wake up for you to do anything for me. I didn't wake up for you to love me. You can't let me down. I don't need you to say a nice thing to me. I feel amazing already. <laughs> Right? You don't have to say, oh, you're so awesome, Dan. <sighs> what, did, what did you say? You're awesome. <laughs> mm. <sighs> That's so weird, and I looked weird doing it. Just to show you it's weird. You be honest. Great assemblies like this, so many people come to find themselves through one another. They look... And I understand connectivity and support, help and compassion. I get all that. But man, why would we only be as strong as the weakness around us when He lives in us? Why would a church member ever get offended because somebody disregarded them or didn't appreciate them? And churches and leadership, be honest. 
We have meetings to tell each other to make sure we keep our people encouraged, the people serving under us, make sure they're encouraged, always let them know you appreciate them. I wish we'd stop having those meetings. Because if you're doing what you're doing in need of a thank you, you need to realign why you're doing it. Because you're just one person away from believing you're disregarded and not appreciated and you'll do something rash or you'll leave the church or you'll say, well, I served and served and served and nobody even cared. Well, did you do it for men or did you do it for him? Did you do it for the sake of others or did you do it for accolade? Or you have a vacuum. Do you need somebody to appreciate you or do you know you're appreciated? See, one is unhealthy and it's emotional sickness. It's like an addiction. And the other one is what you're created for. To know the love of Christ is to be filled with all the fullness of God. When you're filled with all the fullness of God, you do not live for accolade. You don't serve in a ministry to be appreciated. That's called offense waiting to happen. And the fact that that is in the house of God proves that we don't totally understand the gospel and why God sent His Son and who we are now that He came. I'm going to make a bold statement in your house, Pastor. I believe it's possible and we should pursue it that not one of us are ever offended. And if there's any kind of thing, we work it out quickly behind the scenes, communicate and keep our feelings out of it because it's really not about us because we're not religious singing one thing and believing another. We're making peace, we're showing mercy, and we're, we're, we're talking this thing out, but we're walking in love. I don't believe there has to be animosity in this house. I don't believe there ever has to be schisms and divisions. Paul said if they are, it's because you're carnal and you want what you want and can't get it. And now you have fights. That doesn't sound powerful to me. It doesn't sound impressive. And I don't know why an unbeliever would want to buy into that. But when you love them, when they know they are unlovable, and you give them a drink when they're thirsty and they don't deserve a drink. It wrecks people. When they see what you're really going through in reality and they realize they could never tell for three months and they get wind of what you just walked through and they had no clue and they could never tell, it wrecks people. And then they have questions and they want to know how you can live that way. And then they do what the old uh, early church people used to do. We go out and try to compel people to shake their head and agree with our doctrine. That's how we evangelize. They lived the life surrendered and endured persecution and chains and all that stuff. And men looked at them and said, what must I do to be saved? People came to them and asked them, how can I become what I see in you? We go out and try to talk people into our doctrine. You could go to work and never preach the name of Jesus and wreck your coworkers by your life and disposition to where at lunch they slide up beside you trembling and say, can we talk? How do you, what, what's up with you? What's going on with you? I could tell you so many testimonies from secular work. I worked for years secular. I could stand here for hours and cry and tell you testimonies because God taught me this right out of the gate. So I'm just passing it on. Not because I'm a super Christian. Not because I'm better than you. There's something I've seen and I've tasted and it's been fun. 
You want a supervisor calling you at home on your day off, asking if he can talk. You've never witnessed to him. You never mentioned Jesus to him personally. You never tried to convert him. He's just your boss and you do your job and he calls me on my day off and wants to know how I live the way I live. I got a coworker that's going through divorce, chain smoking. He calls me at home and says, can we talk? What's up? I'm just a little freaked out. I stood beside you when Mike was asking you questions on break. I was sitting on my fork, but I, I acted like I was reading a paper, but I was listening to you. He said, there was something coming off of you when you spoke. I can't explain it, but I just realized this morning I haven't lit a cigarette since that conversation and I've been chain smoking for months. He said, I'm a little overwhelmed and freaked out. I have this peace on me and I don't know why. And I feel like I'm supposed to call you. Can you help explain what's going on? I said, I'll be right over. <laughs> I showed up with a Bible. I shared what was going on. He cried, gave his life to Jesus. I filled his bathtub and I drowned him. I did not, I did not ever one day go to work to evangelize. I went to work to be like him. And I saw countless, countless co-workers get saved because of the impact of my life, not my preaching. I never one time went to work to evangelize. I went to work in relationship with God and that is evangelistic. Love is evangelistic. I learned this the hard way because I I became a pastor so you got a lot of programs and teaching tools and (laughs) you get a lot of syllabus and stuff. You get a lot of stuff, man, you know. (laughs) Dude, we got to stay free, man. So we decided we're supposed to reach our community. So like twice a year, we, we gave it a cool name, Storm the City. Rah, rah. So we printed like mega tracks. And we invited everybody to come to Storm the City. So about 35 zealots came to the parking lot. They're holding hands. Shakarabaka, Sundi Araba, Shida Bahasando, Hosinamahasa. I mean, they were on it, boy. They was praying fiery tongues. We ended their tracks. Go get them. We all drove in the city, stormed the city. We get out of our cars, and two ladies are so zealous. They see this precious black gentleman. He's walking up the sidewalk. Probably was an angel. It was God impersonated by a precious black man because it was crazy. They run over and they say, Hey, sir, did you hear the good news? What's that, girls? Jesus, he really loves you. They handed him the track. Oh, it sounds so Christian. (laughs) He said, Well, thank you, ladies. Actually, I do know Jesus loves me. The thing is, I don't believe you do. I actually believe you're part of a church group that's doing your annual or biannual thing trying to make yourself feel good about what you say you are. My question is this. When's the last time apart from your church group that you told somebody Jesus loves you and when's the last time in your personal life you handed out a track? I think you need to get a grip. I do believe Jesus loves me. Thank you very much. But I don't believe you guys understand. 
have a good day. <laughs> and I said, back to the cars. <laughs> and those two ladies said, now, pastor, you're not going to let that man with that hard heart deceive us off of these streets. That is the devil trying to get us out of the city. I said, honey, if you couldn't hear that that was God, we'll just go pray for your spiritual ears at church. Get in the car! Everybody, back to church! And he went <laughs> You're doing never affirms your being. Your being decides your doing. Good little story, huh? Sharpened me at a young age. Your workplace, your sphere of influence. Guys, I'm looking at a bunch of faces. Penalty box or no penalty box, you'll get out someday, guys. <laughs> like someday you'll go free and you'll be able to function like the rest of us. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm sorry. We all have spheres of influence. The people we're around, the jobs we work, the families we live in. Yeah? You multiply the faces I'm looking at, the individual faces, times the sphere of influence we possess. That's a lot of people. Your life matters so much. This isn't hype. It matters so much or he wouldn't have shed his blood on the cross for you. He died once for all. Once for all. That's you. All is you. Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whomever. That's you. Whomever. Yeah? Anyone. Anyone who decides they want to come after me. Anyone. That's you. You multiply your sphere of influence times your sphere of influence times the number of people in this room. That's incredible. We start realizing the reason we're alive. We're done. We're done complaining on our job. We're done just getting caught up with the same old attitude we're familiar with. We're done creating animosity in our family and pushing and shoving and power playing and manipulation and emotional control. We're done. We're not going to church anymore singing hallelujah and arguing over where we're going to eat. We're done. Hello? You've got to say, we're done. I'm done. Where I'm concerned, I'm done. If the rest of my family doesn't buy in, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stand before him someday. I got one little crack. I got this one little window called life. And I'm not going to let something matter more if it doesn't matter most. I'm not going to let life speak higher and louder than truth. Because truth makes me free. So the just live by faith. So I'm going to believe this thing no matter what feelings press in on me. And no matter if anybody else seems to be running well with me, I'm going after him and I'm going to let him change me in the secret place and I'm going to walk in love and people are going to know him. You've got to get there. You've got to say, that's where I'm living. That's where I'm living. I'm living there. It's faith. It's faith. You say, well, well, nothing. Come on, you're going to have to answer for this. We're all going to stand before him, guys. Every day we're closer to that day. That's not a ploy. I'm not fear tacticing you. The truth of the Bible says you're going to stand before him. What are you going to say? Well, life was overwhelming. Why didn't you intervene? 
you think you're going to say? I've been waiting to see you. <laughs> it is not going to be that way, friends. You are going to walk into the light and glory of who he is where there's not an ounce of deception in the room and you're going to go, oops. <laughs> and you are going to be very aware of how bad you've been played if things don't change in some of our lives. You aren't going to look at him and say, well, I'd have believed in you if it wasn't for my spouse. I prayed. Why didn't you change them? You don't even be able to think that. It ain't going to work. So why would you let it work now and buy time that you don't have? Oh, it's good. That's good preaching right there, Pastor. <laughs> it's got to be the mic. He doesn't let nobody wear his mic. He let me wear his mic. Then he threw me under the bus and said I was going to preach long. <laughs> and right now you're starting to believe that. No, I'm closing. I'm done. I'll be done. No, I'm done. No, get thee behind me, brother. <laughs> For thou art a stumbling block to me. <laughs> That's pretty cool when you say you're done. And somebody goes, no. You might not believe this. You'd have had to bend there. Well, you'll believe it, but you'd have had to bend there to understand. I was in northern PA and I was preaching and I lost total track of time. Now, I know you believe that, but I mean, I was just going and I was telling stories and it was passionate and emotional and everybody's like this. And it was just, you could feel it was one of them God moments where we were all captured. And time's just, and nobody has a clue. You, I looked up at the clock and I went, it was an evening service started at seven. I looked up at the clock, it was like 20 or a quarter to 11. Nobody was moving. Like nobody even went to pee. Like, <laughs> you know, they're rocking. You think it's the anointing. They're just holding it. They're like, I don't want to miss nothing. And you think it's the anointing. <laughs> and I looked at the clock, and all of a sudden this big cafeteria clock was there. White face, big black letters. You can't miss it. It's a full moon. It's right there above the sound booth. And I went... I didn't think it was there all night. I thought when the sound men took it down the beginning as a joke and then said, hey, this isn't funny, and put it back up. <laughs> and I looked, and I said, oh, my goodness, is that the time? And people went, time, time. And then you could hear the rumbles, whoa, what? No. <laughs> and I said, oh, my goodness, I have to stop. Right where you're sitting, man, my buddy from Brooklyn, right there. A seven-year-old girl stood to her feet distressed and said, no. I said, no, honey, I've been preaching for hours. Man sitting right where you are, cell phone, record me. Three hours and six minutes, I got it recorded. <laughs> preaching nonstop, three hours, six minutes. I said, three hours, six minutes. Everybody's like, what? I said, how old are you? She said, seven. I said, honey, you're seven years old. I'm preaching for three hours and six minutes. Why wouldn't you be tugging your mother's arm saying, is this man ever going to get quiet so we can leave? She said, oh, no, sir. I get so much out of what you say. Unless you become like a little child. You're by no means. By no means. Enter into what you're called to and created for. The kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about experiencing heaven. 
thanksgiving heaven. Y'all good? Now watch this. There's not one thing I preached that you can't personally live and pursue apart from any other factor or individual in your life. There's not one thing I preached that you can't go after and become by the grace of God if you keep your eyes fixed on the course. Not one thing. Do we need one another to do this thing? Absolutely. We've got to lock arms and run this race and cover the earth with His glory. Do I need you to help fulfill the call of God on this earth? Yes. Do I need you to know who I am? Never. That's the mistake we've been making. We've been finding ourselves through one another and we've been stopping before we're starting. I never need you to know who I am. I can only find the true me through Him. And only then do I have a clear view of you. And only then can we have healthy relationship. People go to a church and say, I don't know if I'm going back there. It wasn't very loving. Did you ever hear it? And I say, well, that's strange. It should have been. You were there. <laughs> Do you see how we're geared to what we can get from something instead of what we become and give? People, it's way more precious and blessed to give than receive. So would you love one another? For if He loved us this way, ought we not love one another? 1 John 4, God is love, the whole chapter. He is love, He is love. In verse 17, this is how we know love has been perfected and we've grown and matured in it. That we have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness. If you read scripture, many people are hiding from that day, asking for rocks and trees to fall on them and obliterate them so they don't have to face the glory of His presence and the truth. Calls it a day of darkness and gloom. He said, you can have boldness in that day for this one reason. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Friends, all I've preached to you today is Christianity. It's not radical. It's from the beginning. It's not strange. It's not excessive. It's not hyper. It's not out of balance. It's what he paid for. And I'm saying, as a people, right here in Moncton, let's run well and live this thing so the world knows that He sent His Son. Can you stand to your feet? I want to pray over you. Father, thank You for this great and fun weekend, all the precious people I've met, Your people. What a loving place. It's not hype, but I wouldn't talk like that. I, I mean that. What a loving place. What a receptive group. What friendly folks. God, I'm asking you right now that you would just do a convicting work in our hearts and seal, mark our hearts and seal our hearts in this call in a special way that we could never get away from it, that our conscience would always be aware of this high calling, this high calling. It's a high calling. Not that we've apprehended, but we're going after it, God. No matter what rung of the ladder we think we're on, we're going to all have the same mind. We're all going to have the same heart. We're going to go after this thing. and We're going to pattern after those who... who through faith have, have walked this thing and lived this thing. And Father, I'm asking you right now for just a grace of encouragement through the room, an ability to get our eyes off of things that have stifled us and an ability to see clear through truth 
and be truly motivated in the midst of trials, in the midst of situations, that we wouldn't be needs-driven, that we wouldn't be ministry-crazed, that we would be in love with you, receiving your love, and looking through a selfless eye, through a truth that has made us free. Lord God, I thank you. We're not enduring. We're not bearing. We are loving you and loving people. And I just thank you that you're releasing that grace in us as a people. And I thank you. It makes a difference in Jesus' name.